Hey, if you don't know me, my name's Andrew, and I'm excited to get to uh, speak to you guys today. And uh, we're just going to stay in the vein that we've been in the last couple of weeks. I want to read just our opening text, and I'm not going to necessarily be preaching specifically out of this text, but this text is really setting the stage, not just for today, but really for the season that we are in here at Celebration. So even me reading this today, really the goal is just to get these words into the environment. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 through 7, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the suffering and afflicted. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to announce liberty to the captives, and to open the eyes of the blind. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of God's favor to them has come and the day of God's anger against their enemies. He has sent me to tell all who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes. Say beauty for ashes. Joy instead of mourning, praise instead of heaviness. Then they will be called oaks of righteousness, the plantings of the Lord, so they might display his glory. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Then they will restore places destroyed long ago. Then they will renew the ruined cities, the places destroyed generations ago. Then your enemies will come to care for you. You shall be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You shall be fed with the treasures of the nations and shall glory in their riches. Instead of being put to shame, you will receive a double portion of prosperity. Instead of being dishonored, you will be glad to be in your land. Say, in my land. You will receive a double share of riches there, and you'll be filled with the joy that will last forever. You'll be filled with joy that lasts forever. A few weeks ago, the pastor said this. There's a great exchange taking place. That if we would exchange our ashes... What are our ashes, our, our pains of yesterday? The hurts, the confusion, the fear, the worry, the restlessness. If we can exchange our ashes for God's beauty, get ready to step into a season you've been praying for. We know we're called to create spaces for that to take place. That's why we're here on Sunday. This is why we created a space last Sunday night. This is why we'll continue to create spaces in this season for an exchange to take place. Because how many of you know there's, there's, there's things like in us that we may not even know are in there. And sometimes in the presence of God, those things will rise up to the service and say, God, God will say, that's the ashes I've been trying to get out of you. I've, I've been trying to make an exchange right there. That, that hurt from when you were 11 years old. That's what I was trying to. You've done a good job at ignoring it, but I'm going to pull it out in these moments. Why? Because there's a great exchange taking place. And this is going to look different for everybody. But this morning, I want to talk about two men in the Bible that I believe we can learn a thing or two from them that, that, that are just going to practically help us today. I want to talk about these two guys. One of the guys, his name's Elijah. Say Elijah. Another one of the gentlemen we're going to be talking about, his name is John. And, and I love Elijah, and I love John. John's better known as John the Baptist. And, and these two guys did some incredible things. 
And though hundreds of years separated them, there were so many similarities between the two. Elijah was first on the scene. He's kind of the old, the old guy. John was way after him. But Elijah was an awesome guy. Elijah was doing miracles. Elijah was doing incredible things. Elijah was used by God greatly. Elijah would set the stage anytime God was looking to tell people something. Elijah was the messenger. Elijah would deliver the message. He would deliver the news, and God would use him so mightily. Fast forward hundreds of years later, John shows up on the scene, and God used John in a great way. Anytime God needed something to be shared, he said, I want to do it through John. John, go tell the people this. John, go tell the people that John was used mightily. As a matter of fact, they had so much similar things in common. When, when John was born, he was actually like a miracle baby. John's parents were not in a position to have kids. So God sends this angel to John's house, the angel Gabriel. He knocks on the door and he's like, hey, Zechariah, you're going to have a son. He's like, you're tripping. He's like, no, you're going to have a son. And the angel begins to tell Zechariah all the great things that his son is going to do. Your son's going to do this. Your son's going to do that. But then he tells him how he's going to do it in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Luke, verse 17. It says this, he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Elijah and John had a lot of similar traits. Their assignments pretty much matched. But this morning, I don't want to talk about the similarities in the good stuff. <laughs> I want to talk about the similarities of their ashes. Because both of these men had a pile of ashes. John had his pile of ashes and Elijah had his pile of ashes. And when we look at their ashes, they were so stinking similar. But I started to think, how did they even accumulate these ashes? How did they come to this place where Elijah has an ash pile and John has an ash pile? And there was even similarities in how they accumulated those ashes. I think a lot of times when we look at our pains, our hurts, our frustrations of yesterday, we think we are the only ones. But I'm telling you, there are people in this room that have ashes that look just like yours. You see, Elijah was a noble man. He was doing everything God had called him to do. And one day, Elijah gets in a scuffle with the king. Say king. And this king, his name was Ahab. Ahab did not like Elijah. Ahab hated Elijah. As a matter of fact, Ahab wanted Elijah dead. But Ahab was weak. He didn't have the guts to take Elijah out. But Ahab had a wife, say wife, and she really, really hated Elijah. This lady was crazy. Her name was Jezebel. And Jezebel wanted Elijah done. One day, during this scuffle, Elijah's standing there, Ahab's on the other side with all his prophets. 
They say, hey, we're going to call fire from heaven. Y'all call your God, I'll call my God. And whoever answers by fire is the real God. These prophets start to call fire and nothing's happening. Baal is not answering. Baal is not answering. Then Elijah steps up, calls fire. Fire shows up on the scene. Everybody believes that God is real. Elijah then takes out every single one of those prophets. So Jesse gets really, really mad. It says this in 1 Kings 19, verse 1. It says this, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So so Jezebel, she sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. After a series of events, it says this down in verse 8. So he got up and he ate and drank and and the uh, the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. Elisha does something great, something bad happens. He's accumulated some ashes and now he's in a cave. He's in a cave lying with the pains from yesterday lying with the confusion. He has this pile of ashes just lying right there with him. Fast forward hundreds of years later, John shows up on the scene. John is a noble man. John is doing everything that God wants him to do. He's on mission. He's doing a great job. But one day, John gets in a scuffle with a king. Say king. And this king, his name was Herod. And Herod didn't like John. As a matter of fact, Herod wanted John dead, but Herod was weak. He didn't have the guts to do it. But Herod, he had a wife, say wife, and her name was Herodias. That's a horrendous name. That should have been the first red flag for Herod. Herodias did not like John. She despised John, and she wanted John, she wanted John dead. There was a reason for it. John was telling Herod the truth. You shouldn't be married to that woman because she's married to your brother Philip, Herod. And when you think about the story, it was not even a different person. They all from the same mama. It was crazy. I'm like, they would have been the perfect candidates for the Jerry Springer show of that day. So Herodias is really, really mad that John is telling Herod the truth. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, it says this, For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. Now you have John in a prison cell, lying with a pile of ashes. Pain, hurt, confusion, distress, anger. You know, I started thinking about the accumulation of these piles. Like, what did they really do to deserve those pile of ashes and, 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 and these pile of ashes? And I started to think that some of the ashes in our life, the accumulation of those pains and hurts, the pains of your yesterdays, the things that you've gone through, some of those things have more to do with your assignment than your behavior. In other words, your assignment intimidates hell. And 
when you were 10 years old, hell knew what you were called to do. And the fight was never about your behavior or even your parents' behavior. It was about your assignment. Sometimes the attack that you're feeling has more to do with your assignment than your behavior. Elijah, how'd you land in a cave? I was just on assignment. John, how'd you land in a prison cell? I was just a man on a mission. Your assignment could be the reason why the attack has been so hard. Now, don't get it twisted. God doesn't use destruction to get your attention. The Bible makes it very clear that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So the pain that you've experienced that wasn't necessarily God's way of getting your attention, he could do it a million other ways. But like my pastor said months ago, though God didn't bring it, he's not going to miss out on an opportunity to use. And what I've seen God do, he'll take what the enemy meant for evil, he'll turn it around in your favor, that you'll be scratching your head thinking, I think God may have brought, no, he didn't bring it, he just turned it, that's just how good God is. It wasn't because of their behavior, it was because of their assignment. And I don't want to freak you out, but when I look at the assignment of Elijah, and I look at the assignment of John, it sounds really familiar to Celebration Church's assignment. What was their assignment? To turn hearts of fathers to sons? In other words, to point to the next, to say the next is going to do it. What was John doing? He was pointing to the next. What was Elijah? He was pointing to the next. So if you're going to be a part of Celebration Church, get ready. <laughs> it's it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Oh, but we know wherever you can find the spirit of Elijah, Jezebel is going to be right there knocking. But it's okay. That's why you come into these services, to be equipped to take over, to be equipped to take over wherever you're at. Oh, we have an incredible assignment. It's going to be awesome. Are we going to have to go through some things? Yeah, we're going to stand up for truth. We're going to stand up for what we believe. And we are going to see miracles oh, that we've been praying for. So, like, if you're looking for convenience, this may not be your assignment. If you're ready just to park and retire and stay home and have a nice white picket, like, that's going to be awesome. But this might not be your assignment. But that's why pastor said we're going to run with the runners and we're going to drink with the drinkers. Because when you're taking on an assignment like this house, you got to be ready. I love it. We're going to build disciples in this church. God never called us to build converts. He said build disciples. Because disciples are going to know how to withstand every attack of the enemy. It was their assignment. It wasn't their behavior. It was their assignment. Elijah's in a cave. And, and I love Elijah's response to God. Verse 9 in 1 Kings 19, it says, There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They torn down your altars and, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah is having a pity party. I'm the only one, God. 
It's just, it's just me here, God. I, it's because of this, and it's because of them, and it's because of this. And he's having a pity party. His response is funny, but I really, really, really think John's is even funnier. Can I read to you John's response? In Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 and 3, it says this. John the Baptist, who was in prison, he heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus this. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? John spent his whole life pointing people to That's the Messiah. That's him. But John started to talk about God through the lenses of his ashes, of his pain, of his confusion. The pastor began talking about the importance of getting healing from this. And every day it's becoming more and more clear to me why this is huge. Like why I got to be in these spaces. God revealed to me even those things in me. Because if you don't get healing from your ashes, your view of God will always be skewed. Like, is that really you, Jesus, or should we look for someone? His vision was skewed because he was looking through the lens of his pain. And if you're looking at God through the pain of your yesterday, you'll always have a distorted view of God. And you can't afford to have a distorted view of God. But I began to think this. It doesn't just end, like, with a distorted view of God. Like, that's bad to have a distorted view of God, but it doesn't just stop there. In 1 Kings 19, verse 10, notice again what, what, what God asks Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 9, verse 9, it says this. There he came to a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, what are you doing here? Your vision does not just become distorted of God. Elijah, what are you doing here in this cave? Implying that Elijah was never supposed to be in that cave. When you're vision of God is off, the next thing that's going to take place is you're probably going to miss out on opportunities you were supposed to take, or you're going to take opportunities you were supposed to miss. Elijah took an opportunity he was supposed to miss. Why? Because I was viewing God through the lens of my ashes. I need healing from my ashes. Why? Because I got to see God right. Because if I don't see God right, I'm going to start making lefts when I was supposed to make a right. I'm going to start making rights when I was supposed to make a left. John is in this prison cell and he sends his disciples, hey, go send this message to Jesus. Are you the Messiah 
or should we look for another? Jesus is awesome in his response, and I want to read his response to you. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 4 through 6, the disciples of John, his, his crew, they, they deliver the message to Jesus, and verse 4 says this, Jesus told them, go back and tell John, uh, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. He's like, go, go tell John that. That's kind of a stinger. If I'm John and I'm lying in a pile of ashes, that's not the message I want to listen to. But Jesus doesn't stop talking there. He doesn't stop talking there. In verse 7, it says this. As John's disciples were leaving, catch this. Jesus isn't going to get into this next part until his disciples leave. And once John's messengers leave, Jesus, he turns and he begins talking to the crowd about John. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Verse 10, John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare a way before you. Verse 11, this is Jesus talking to the crowd about who? About John. I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yes, even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it for before John came all the prophets and the law of Moses look forward to this present time and if you're willing to accept what I say he is Elijah the one of the prophets who said would come so so Jesus gets this memo from John's disciples go tell John this the blind see miracles are happening peace they leave then he looks to the crowd and says none are greater than John if I'm John, I want to hear part two, not part one. But Jesus is not looking to explain your ashes. He's looking to heal your ashes. You know what message two would have done for John? Oh my, you're so right. Pity me, pity me, pity me, pity me. I had a pity party the other day. God said, you can have pity or you can have progress, but you cannot have both. Jesus understood. John does not, does not need to hear part two because that's not going to heal his ashes. It's just going to explain his ashes. It's just going to make him more mad that he's in the position that he is in. I said, God, so how do I find healing for my pain? How do I find healing for, for, for my pain? And he gave me two simple steps, two simple steps. And for many of us, we've already taken step one, whether it be last week, the week before. He said, when it comes to your ashes, the first thing you have to do is you have to surrender them to me. Surrender them to me. God, I give you my ashes. I give you my pain, even the pain I'm unaware about. 
Holy Spirit, as you reveal it to me, I'll surrender it to God. But that's just part one. He said, the second thing you need to do after you surrender it is you have to stop defending your ashes. And the reason why we don't get healing is because we're still defending and protecting them. It's because my dad did what he did and because my mom did what he did. And y'all don't know the neighborhood I grew up. You got to stop defending it because you cannot get healed from that pain and defend it at the same time. If Jesus would have given John part two, John would have been more encouraged to defend his point of view. And I'm not here to belittle your ashes because I know what some of you have gone through. But you can have pity or you can get progress, but you can't have both. You can't have both. Why does God want to heal this, this area? Because he wants you to see him correctly. Why does he want you to see him correctly? Because in the future, you're going to have some decisions to make. And if you don't see him correctly, you'll miss out on God opportunities, and you'll take opportunities that were never sent from God. How do I find healing for my ashes? i got to surrender them, and I've got to stop defending them. And honestly, no joke, if you're married, your wife will bring up that stuff. And the moment she does, I want to defend it. But yeah, but you don't know. No one ever hugged me as a kid. That's why I'm not affectionate. I could keep defending it or I could find healing from it. Pity or progress, we cannot have both. John embraced the pity. And the very lady that had him thrown in prison was the very lady that had a platter with his head on it. If we don't deal with our ashes, our ashes are going to deal with us. Elijah, he was in this cave, and just for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all those, but Elijah was in this cave with his pile of ashes, just like John. And God said, come out. And Elijah came out. God was getting ready to talk to Elijah. And there was like this huge earthquake, but God wasn't in it. There was like this storm and God wasn't in it. But then there was like this gentle, small whisper that God was in. And God says, Elijah, I need you to go back the same way you came. And he gave Elijah three things to do. From what I know, Elijah only did two of the three, and he did them backwards. <laughs> but one of the things God said for Elijah to do, he said, go and find Elisha. Elisha is going to replace you. And I want you to take your mantle, and I want you to put it on Elisha, so Elisha can jump off of your shoulders and make incredible impact in the earth. Elijah, he goes and he finds Elisha. And this invitation is presented to Elisha. And Elisha's like, I'm in, I'm going. And as Elijah is getting ready to go to heaven, he's like, Elisha, what can I do for you? Elisha says, I want double. 
I want double. I want a double portion of your spirit. I, I, want, I want to do twice as much as you ever did in the earth. I want double. I want, I want double. Elisha, Elijah said, well, if you see me when I go, you'll have it. Elijah gets caught up in a whirlwind. He goes to heaven. The mantle falls on Elisha. And if you study the life of Elisha, you will realize that Elisha did twice as much as Elijah. When I began to think about my ashes, I realized that it didn't just have to do with my assignment, it had to do with my mantle. And for some of us in this place that are in our 30s and our 40s and our 50s, all we're thinking about is what can I leave my kids behind? I'll leave them this check. I'll leave them my retirement. I'll leave them this. What you need to leave them is a mantle. Don't get me wrong. I'm trying to accumulate to leave some things to my kids. It's part of God's plan. He said we should be so blessed. Four generations deep after us should have plenty of enough. But I could leave them all the money in the world and not leave them a mantle and miss out on my assignment. God is looking to bring healing to your ashes, not just for your sake, but for the sake of your assignment. I want to invite you to stand in this place today, right where you're at. We need this healing deep down with, within us, and I'm the first one to raise my hand because like Pastor Randy said a few weeks ago, there's like stuff that is like deep stuff in us way down in there that we don't even know where to start pulling from. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit wants to help you. The Holy Spirit will bring things to remembrance. He'll say, hey, that attitude, it's because of this. Hey, your perspective of that person, it's because of this. And when those things begin to surface, it's not our job to defend them. It's our job to surrender them. And watch God supernaturally begin to fix those ashes. I believe God is so good that you can walk accidentally in the same aisle at the grocery store and that person that you have despised, that person that has hurt you, that person that put you in prison, that person that ruined your life, I believe when those ashes are healed by God, you'll be able to look at that person with a pure heart and say, I love you, I hope all is going well. That's how good God is. And God is going to leave it all. He's going to take care of all of it. He's going to take care of all of it. And this morning, I just want to pray and invite the Holy Spirit. Even as Tom begins to sing, I want to invite the Holy Spirit to begin to do surgery deep down inside of us. Holy Spirit, today we acknowledge you as our helper, our helper that leads us into all truth. And today, we're asking you for that truth. Not what we want to hear, not what we feel like hearing, but the truth that leads to healing. Holy Spirit, would you do that in this place today? Holy Spirit, would you bring healing in this place today? Would you reveal those ashes in our lives? And as you do, God, we surrender them to you. 
We surrender them to you in this moment. And we invite you to supernaturally bring change in those areas. Thanks for listening. If this impacted you and you'd like to partner with us, go to celebrationchurch.cc give to help us reach people with the message of Jesus. 